0: Doing this podcast is the storytelling, but not only storytelling, storytelling about an experience that leads to an action for a positive outcome. Today on Dr. D's social network is Mark Simon. Mark's book, Attacked, tells the story of him being attacked when he was in high school by a gang and overcoming that experience. Uh, to create an incredible life for himself. Mark goes into very deep detail about what happened. And I just love his level of honesty and consideration for that time in his life. It was really refreshing. So sit back, relax, open your ears for Mark Simon.
1: basis of it is something that a lot of people experience, which is bullying. Uh, it just so happens that the bullying I suffered uh, grew to a point that luckily most people never have to deal with because uh, my bullies actually followed me home and attacked my entire family in front of our house. So wow. um, that's a little outrageous, And uh, but it didn't just stop there. It just Completely. kept going on and death threats. and. Uh, you know, going after my family, going after all my friends, uh, fire—you know—threats of firebombing the house, threats of killing everyone in my family. It, it went on and on. So,
0: so what was the origins of this? Well,
1: the origins was pretty simple. I was short and looked like an easy target, uh, but I had a really big mouth, and uh, I embarrassed them a few times. And and just as a little, uh, little backlog here, I, I had started very young in business. Uh, I had my first business when I was 12, uh, designing my own line of skateboards for Schwinn. Uh, and then when I was 14, I took over as superintendent for my dad's construction company. So the, this whole, uh, uh, the assaults happened when I was 16. So I, I had already been running a construction business for a few years by the time these guys started getting after me. And I had spent years telling these really large muscular men what to do every day. So high schoolers couldn't threaten me. It just, it didn't make sense to me. And because I'd spent my life in construction and in skateboarding, I was, I was short, but I was rock solid. So when they tried to physically intimidate me, that didn't work either. They would just bounce off of me if they tried to body check me or something. So, it just got to the point where, you know, one-on-one or two-on-one wasn't working against me. So they got 30 guys one night to attack me.
0: Mm. Wow. And at that point, did you, you realize this is, I mean, this is a serious problem and they're going for something much deeper than kind of a superficial level bullying? Yeah, you
1: know, I, I you know i was 16 dealing with stuff i'd never had to deal with before so i didn't think deeply about it other than oh my god what's happening mm-hmm. oh my god they're attacking my family oh my god i have no friends left you know it it didn't really go deeper than that at the time and then it was just survival uh you know we had to have we were armed at all times at that point you know everyone in my family um we had guns in every car guns behind different doors in the house we had private security watching the house. We had uh, uh, the police doing drive-bys every hour. I mean, it was, at that point, it's just survival.
0: Wow. Now, now, from what I understand, this was essentially kind of like a gang. Was it like an organized gang or now, just 30 it was, guys? It was, that they just... it
1: was two ringleaders, Stephen Perry, who were just asses and um, always got into trouble yeah. and, and, you know, th- it wasn't the cool kids, but it was a group of kind of cool kids and they would, Mm
0: -hmm. they
1: just kind of back these guys up. They'd get into fights, you know, there were times that they would be losing. So everyone else would jump in and, um, and, and fight. And, you know, these guys before my deal with them had actually even broken into the school, crawled through the ceiling and burned their own school records. Um, they had assaulted a lot of other kids, but no one would openly talk about it because they were afraid of retribution. Mm-hmm. Um, I was the first one to stand up against them.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like that you utilized a law that was available. Can you talk a little bit about that to kind of yeah? the so court?
1: There was a, a local constable, uh, Officer Ogden, who was friends with all the kids. Um, he worked off... Uh, off times, he was working at the school. So literally all of us knew him. And because I knew him, he was my first phone call after after my family was attacked in our yard. And he came over to talk with us and let us know what he had heard on the street. Because again, he knew all the kids. Um, and he told he's the one who told us about a new law that had been enacted in Texas. It was a civil law holding parents responsible for the actions of their kids but it had never been tested. Um, he, hmm. he worked not directly under because he was, he was a deputy, but um, he worked a lot with the local judge, Judge McElroy, um, H. and McElroy, uh, who I, I'm still in touch with, by the way. He, uh, he read my book and it reached out to me. Okay. Um, and, uh, and it was the largest uh, civil court in the state of Texas. In fact, my high school was the largest high school in the state of Texas you know 4000 kids Whoa. it was huge yeah we were in north uh, northwest Houston and and so Ogden officer Ogden said let me talk to the judge he knows these kids and wants to get rid of them too let's see if we can fast track doing something and and he told us in order to hold parents responsible it's a multi-step process because you have to warn them in front of a judge so it's on record of what their kids had been doing mm-hmm. to give the parents the opportunity to change it and stop it. So that, that was the next step, which happened within a week. Well, yeah, quite- yeah, they, they, we got a tremendous amount of support. which was really
0: nice. Yeah. Now, how did this law come about? Was there a previous incident that caused this to become a law?
1: Yeah, I have absolutely no idea. Uh, again, I was 16, you know, in and, and at that point I wasn't asking or thinking about anything other than, yeah. please help me. Yeah, there was literally, you know, my parents might've found out a, a little bit more. My dad doesn't remember anything else other than, um, our direct mm-hmm. discussions with the, uh, with the judge, because uh, we had private meetings with the judge, um, before, you know, leading up to the warnings directly after before and after the, the initial court warning, and then met with them a couple times. Other than that, just to make sure that we were protected and that we weren't breaking the law with anything that we were doing. So right. um, there was there was a lot of discussion of those things, but it was all directly saving the family. We really weren't worried about what had what had led up to that law being enacted, but we were the yeah. first ones to use it and the first ones to win. So we set the precedent.
0: So what was that? Uh, well, maybe some background like the parents. What was that like going in front of the judge within a week with these, the parents of the bullies? Were they, what were they like? What that, was their attitude question. towards the whole
1: deal? Uh, and I'm going to ask this Are you okay with some cursing? Because okay. I'm going
0: to. Uh... Oh, yeah. Okay, you can great. say anything you want. All right. It's all good. Um, yeah. Because yeah.
1: I'm going to quote one of the parents in a second here. Uh, okay. So when we did the warning, even there, there were about 30 guys, like I said, that attacked me one night. Four of them followed me home, and it was those four that attacked the family. Mm-hmm. So it was those four families that we brought into court for the warning. Um, I didn't even know who most of the other people were, but you know, we figured let's go for the ones where we know who it was. There were multiple witnesses because mm-hmm. our neighbors came out and everything, so we had lots of witnesses on what had happened. And... There was Steve and Perry, the two ringleaders. Um, uh, another guy who had actually been a friend of mine, but just kind of got wrapped up with the bad crowd that night, and he was probably drunk, most mm-hmm. likely. Um, uh, and uh, the other little weasley dude who was known as one of the drug dealers in school because his dad was a pharmacist.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So the the guy who had been a friend of mine, his parents came in, and after the warning, um, the the parents got after him, took his truck away from him. Cause he was the one driving that night and <clears throat> driving all the guys around. And, um, they came up and apologized. to My family said nothing like that would ever happen with him again. He came up and he apologized to me directly. And he and I were fine. Um, he made, he made moves to apologize and change his ways. I'm good with that. I, I didn't have any mm-hmm. problem with that. Yeah. Uh, the, the Weasley dude who was the, um, uh, one of the drug dealers at school, his parents were wealthy. Um, you know, having been a pharmacist and don't know w- what else, but they had one of the really, really large homes in our area. Um, mm-hmm. they got angry at their kid, never approached my family. But, um, I remember watching his dad smack him in the back of the head as they were leaving the uh, courthouse saying, don't you ever embarrass me like that again. And then I just heard the threats go on and on. So they dealt with it with anger against their son. Nothing about my family. It was all about how it affected them. So that was interesting. Right. Then we get to the two ringleaders, Steve and Perry. They didn't have fathers in the picture. They just had their mothers. The mothers were there. Steve's mother was quite a looker. Um, and she knew it and she tried to use it. Um, and uh, Perry's mom was just, just a nasty woman, you know, no other way of talking about it. Yeah. And, uh, Steve's mom laughed about it in court in front of the judge and Perry's mom in front of the judge looked over and said, your son is too much of a pussy to deal with things on his own. Why am I here? Mm. So that kind of sums up. Why these kids were bad apples?
0: Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, the lack of parental involvement, lack
1: of caring, lack you know, of proper uh, training. I mean, it was caring. a lack, lack, lack across the yeah. board. There were terrible people raising terrible people.
0: Right, you know, one rubbed off on the other, and no direction. So after that point, I mean, you're you're hearing that. What was the feeling after hearing that from? These people, like you, didn't think it was going to change after this. It's kind did of you?
1: shock and dread. Uh, you know, mm. I knew part of it would get better, and I was afraid part was going to get worse because these these are the kind of people that yeah. th- this was not a situation that you punch your bully in the nose and everything is set right. That that didn't work in this situation. Yeah. I'd seen other people get into fights with these guys. If uh, if Stephen Perry started a fight and they won, your easy pickings, they'd keep going after you. If they started a fight and you won, they wanted retribution and kept coming after you. So there's there no winning. It's just if they wanted to mess with you, they were going to mess with you, period. Um, right. And because, because they kept coming after me in, in pretty large numbers, you know, four or eight at a time was normal. There's not much I could do anyway you know, yeah, I was strong, but you know, I was one person and I was short. I mean, I was really short. I was like five foot four, five foot five when I was 16. Um, so I was, I was, I was worried about what was going to happen. My mom was frightened. Um, my mom was a petite woman. She was only like 95 pounds. Uh, mm-hmm. she was scared to death. Uh, the death threats had already been coming in, you know, in the week prior to the, uh, to the court warning, uh, my dad—it uh, you know, was not tall but large man, not fat, just really muscular, really big barrel chest, right, uh, right? Construction guy. He had been a farm boy growing up, um, and he worked the oil rigs for years. So you know, he was just solid and had his own way of wanting to deal with things. But he was also afraid of the family, and he couldn't be there with me all the time. So you know when I talked to the judge after the warning, uh, well, the whole family, we all went to go talk to him and he said, look, mm-hmm. it's on record. Now, anytime you call us, the parents are going to jail. But if you call us, make sure it's worth it. You know, don't, if they are teasing you or calling you a name or looking at you sideways, yeah, they're still going to be arrested, but it won't, it, but you're going to lose your opportunity to win a court case and you could mm. make things worse. So it's up to you on when to call, but make sure it's bad enough where we can do something about it, but not so bad you get hurt. He said, I don't know where that line is. You're going to have to figure that out, which is also a scary thing. Mm. And my parents agreed. They said, you know, it's, yeah. it was on me. Um, I had, had lots of opportunities. I could have gone to any other school which was offered to me both by the school and my parents. And I said, no, why should I have to uproot my life because of these assholes? You know, I refuse to back down no matter what's going on here. You know, if anything, if anyone's going to have to change their life, it's them. That was my thinking. Um, As hard, bad as everything got, because it got really bad after a while. Um, I refuse to back down.
0: Now, did the parents were, well, it sounds like you were given kind of like, you know, a side talk about it, but were the parents, they were just told kind of like legally, this is what's going to happen to you if this persists. Yeah, the
1: judge explained to them exactly how the law worked and what their responsibilities were. Right. And uh, because their kids were all 16 and 17 years old, the parents were responsible for their actions and they had been warned in court. You know, if if you are not able to uh, keep track of them, you will be found guilty of assault per proxy of your child. You know, or how are they phrased it? So, um, yeah, it, it was very clear. Now, whether they understood it, I don't know. I mean, a few of the parents did mm. because few were highly like. intelligent. The two mothers, I have no idea. Uh, I was not impressed with them. I can tell you that.
0: Yeah. how how quickly after that uh appearance in court did the bullying start back up or continue was it immediate
1: indirectly it was immediate because this everyone obviously everyone at the school knew uh, what was, parts mm-hmm. of what was going on no one knew the whole story um, i thought everyone knew the whole story but as i have found over the years people had heard bits and pieces of what it was. Some thought I was the jerk because I had to drive through a big crowd of people to get away from at one point. And they didn't see what I was going away from. They just saw mm-hmm. me driving like a maniac. So some people thought I was the problem. Um, most people were afraid of these guys. And I call them a gang just because it's the easiest way to describe it. It was not, it, they were not yeah. a named gang or anything like that. They were just a bunch of assholes who hung out together. Um, yeah. In fact, just as a sunny, uh, funny sidebar, we kept diaries and court records, which I still have—the original file that we put together of all the information that we kept from it. And my mom named it the "Assholes" file because that's what she called it. To refuse to call them by name, <laughs> so I still have the "Assholes" file right here. Next yeah,
0: to me. <laughs> it's right next to you. Well, that's, you know, I pulled it amazing. out.
1: I tried to be as accurate as I could in my memoir. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah. and you know, I interviewed my dad about it. My mom had passed away. Uh, about 20 years ago, but this happened 40 years ago. This was 1980. Uh, so right now, as we're talking, is 40 years from the events happening. Um, wow! Yeah, September. Wow. It all happened in September of 1980. Yeah.
0: Oh my goodness! I mean, it's literally right around oh, yeah. that same time. That's does that did that jar memories, thoughts, emotions when that passes every year? Especially oh, no, now not 40.
1: Um, no, it's oh. I. I Look, I suffered for a while. I suffered PTSD for a few years after the event. So I had suffered a nervous mm. breakdown during it. Um, and, uh, you know, luckily I got my life back really quickly afterwards because they disappeared. Um, you know, they were kicked out of and kicked out of the school district. And, uh, you know, after the court trial, that was it. I never saw them again. But I still had the looking over my shoulder, breaking into sweats, um, you know, those types yeah. of things. And I don't remember how long it was, but quite a few years after the incidents, I it was the first time I wrote the story. And when I wrote the end, it was like I had flushed all that nonsense from my body and I never had another bad mm. night's sleep and never had suffered another uh, PTSD event um, after that. Now, I didn't re- try to release it because my writing was terrible at the time. Um, and I've written it a few times. And each time it would get better, but didn't really, I, I didn't know the, have the hook. I didn't know how to really approach it. I was just I was struggling with it. And about four or five years ago, I, I kind of came upon, I'd been working on scripts on a number of different projects. I work in Hollywood now. So I've been writing on, on mm-hmm. a number of scripts on other big projects. And, and uh, finally it hit me talking to another screenwriter friend of mine how to approach it and how to start the story in a more exciting way. All true, but just rearranging how to tell the story. And then right. I got excited about it right. and uh, I started writing it. And it took me a number of years to write it to what is now out in print, mostly because I stay so busy in production. Um, I, I almost never have a day off, at least until COVID. I never had a day off. So it would be really, really mm-hmm. late nights. Um, that's when I tend to like to work and write um uh, and then i kept editing it netting, and it, trying to make it better you know i did my humor pass going through because you know look, life is filled with humor and drama is only good yeah. if it if it, you contrast it against humor so i was making sure i had those moments in there and really trying to get my personality and and quite a few passes i kept going through trying to do a deeper dig into what i was suffering at the time so i really the whole book is really trying to get you into my head to understand not just the actions, but the emotions in the pits of despair that i had fallen into during it.
0: Of course. So how much time had elapsed between that initial uh, court appearance and I believe, you know, you went to trial eventually at some point or some version of that?
1: Yeah, I think it was like October. October 4th or 6th or something like that. Again, I don't remember all the exact dates now because that's why I wrote it down so I don't have to remember it. Um, yeah. But it's in the book. So um, it's a, it, it was early October when we had the warnings and then it was early to mid-December when we had the court trial. So I went through a few months of dealing with things in a, in attacks trying to figure out which is the one that's going to be bad enough for me to feel I can call the cops on them. Uh is this nothing I was mm-hmm. taking lightly even though, you know, as bad as the assaults and the threats were, I took what the judge told me very very seriously and I knew that, you know, this is right. this is something that's going to affect all of their lives at any time when I call the cops. So yeah. Interesting. Uh, you know look it's hard not to think about at least for me it was hard not to think of things like that um but i also didn't want to lose i wanted them to suffer it's not like i was being gracious at least i don't look at it that way
0: right, um, right, it, if if
1: right. if if it's going to happen i'm going to win and and i wanted to make sure of that so uh, and finally just eight of them came after me one uh, one afternoon when i was on a date i finally got some girl to go out with me after a few months, because everyone stopped talking to me. Yeah, um, and they saw me, and eight of them came after me, and I only recognized Stephen Perry. Uh, the other two that we had warned were not part of that group; they had stayed away from me. So um, that night, uh, you know, I, I that was the day I suffered a nervous breakdown. Uh, a couple hours after that, I finally, I found myself across town called my parents to tell them where I was and said, they just attacked me, call them. The the mothers, Stephen Perry's moms, were arrested the next morning, first thing, and thrown in jail. And I think that happened early to mid-November. And then early to mid-December was when uh, the the court trial happened. So we had that weird time in between uh, where everyone knew Everyone at the school knew I had just had schoolmates' parents arrested. That was a very weird time.
0: Right. Yeah. And the thought that you had about you knew how this was going to affect potentially, well, potentially affect their future. Like you said, you weren't having a lot of grace about it, but you were aware that this was going to change their lives. Yeah, and I didn't care
1: about the kids. It, it was I, I didn't know the moms. Yeah. Like I said, I wasn't I wasn't um, impressed with them. Yeah. But this is—I don't. Maybe some people don't think it's a big deal to go to uh, to go to jail on a civil case. I thought it was a pretty big deal, especially at sixteen. Sounds you know, like I, a big deal I, don't, to me. I didn't know the difference between yeah. civil versus state versus federal. I still don't really know, right? Um, but you know, it's, it, when anytime someone's talking about something like that, I'm going to take it seriously on what on what I'm going to do. But taking it seriously is on both sides, which also means if I'm going to take that step, I'm damn well going to win and beat you.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now, how did this, this ruling, did it really change the landscape of bullying in your school or that area? Were there other incidences after this, that this law was enacted?
1: It changed in my school instantly. Um, It was, Mm. the principal had been working for a while to get rid of some of the bad eggs, Stephen Perry in particular. But because they were minors um, and dealing with juvenile courts, it's a slow slog. And he told me he had been trying to get rid of them. And, but it just, there were a lot of hoops to go through. But my court case gave him all the extra ammunition he needed. And that was it. I mean, they never showed up at the school again after the court trial. Um so because they were the ringleaders a lot of the assaults and attacks and and the major bullying in my high school stopped uh overnight um wow. I didn't have any problems about it was the, the beginning of the next school year you know all this happened right before winter break and um You know, I worked all through winter breaks. We're still building homes. Uh, We get back and, you know, people are now finally in the hallways. You know, 4,000 kids are finally starting to say hi. And, you know, normal jostling of shoulders. You know, everyone's crowding through the hallways. You know, it it felt like I was getting my life back. Um, And two guys, two thuggish dudes who I'd never seen before, um, attacked me in one of the um, uh, stairways at school. Me against the wall and started uh, punching me and slapping me, and uh everyone cleared out. And it was just me in this giant uh stairway landing with these two guys just trying to beat the crap out of me. Um and uh and they were they started they were getting in my face and spitting on me and and, and screaming, what do you do, Simon? What do you do, huh? What do you do? You're gonna you're gonna have our parents arrested like you did uh pastors, huh, huh? You gonna do it to us too, huh? Which was the wrong thing for them to say, because as tipsy-turvy right. as my world went, the moment they started hitting me, when they said that, this calm came over me. And I looked up and I smiled and they stopped punching me at that point. And I leaned towards them and I grinned and I said, fuck with me. Yeah, I'll do it to you, too. And they just Mm. each took a step back, wide-eyed, didn't say another word. I picked up my books, and and I went on to class, and that was it. No one ever messed with me again after that moment.
0: Wow. (laughs) I mean, wow. What a transformation in that moment, like, knowing that you had the leverage, actually. And they thought the power of... The physicality was the leverage, but yeah. it really wasn't. Well, and look, the you power, the
1: again, it, you know, and, and I try, try to be really specific to a lot of things in, in, in what I'm describing in the book. You know, when I talk about the fact that I was really strong, it's not because I've got a huge ego. And, and look, I have an ego, and I don't dismiss that at all. But it's because you have to understand every aspect of the physicality and the personality of everyone involved to understand what's going on. So these guys were hitting me, but I was literally solid muscle, um you know, even as short as I was, just to kind of give you an example, uh you know because I would work outside of school ten or twelve hours a day lifting lumber and carrying lumber through our job sites
0: right right So
1: you know I joined the weightlifting club at one point um I didn't last long because I found it boring, but I maxed out the weightlifting machine on my legs on my first you know i was I was leg pressing six hundred and sixty pounds in doing full reps of it. So, you know, there was a lot of strength, so they couldn't physically hurt me, which is one of the reasons why I, I could keep that big mouth. And when, when the realization came that I had the power, I wasn't physically beaten down only because of my physicality. So, you know, I was lucky That my upbringing, not only mentally, because I was used to telling adults what to do every day, but physically it took a lot to hurt me.
0: Yeah. Do you think that had you not been in that job and supervising and telling adults what to do, that you would have had a maybe different outlook or approach to it? You know,
1: probably would have made a, a difference in a few different ways. Yeah, I mean, I would have been a lot more scared. And I was scared. I mean... It, during the whole, the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, it was frightening. Um, I might not have had as big of a mouth, which is part of what, you know, the first time a week before the 30 guys attacked me a week before Perry punched me in the face, um, at a party because I had a smart mouth. He was roaming around and, and bitching about something. I said, ah, no one cares, Perry. Now, I don't know if I would have said something like that, if I hadn't been so secure, probably overly so in myself because of what I did for a living at that point. So my mouth got me into some of the problem, uh, some of the trouble. And I understand that. Um, not that that gives them any leeway on what they did. I, but it right. doesn't mean I don't understand part of what uh, what was pushing them.
0: yeah and you and you saying with your mouth, did that do you still carry that with you or did that dissipate over time?
1: I don't hold back much I mean, you know i don't i'm I'm cautious not to incite things now, and I have been mm-hmm. ever since then um but it's very hard to intimidate me. I'm very good at negotiating because I've been through death threats, so what's a business negotiation going to do to me?
0: You know, right. Exactly. <laughs> um,
1: you know, when I've been run off the road and I've seen my mother being punched by guys in front of me and in and, and people, mm. uh, you know, coming after me with, uh, you know, flaming boards and tire irons, you know, what's a business negotiation going to scare me with? So, you know, I've been through about as bad as you can go through and I came out on top. So that gives me a lot of confidence on how to deal with things. That said. There's there's times when someone has you know, physically gone after me where I instantly break a cold sweat. You know that's you know the fight or flight. Yeah, my my initial yeah. feel is I want to get out of that situation. I don't want to stand there and go toe to toe with somebody. I don't feel fighting fixes anything. Um, but that said, I'm also a second degree black belt in Taekwondo. I can handle myself. I don't want to have to.
0: Right, yeah, most definitely. Now, have how is how do you see bullying in in today's landscape with today's children, teenagers, and your point of view for that? Well, now? there's
1: always been face to face bullying, and there probably always will be for any number of reasons. You know, kids who are um, bullied at home are going to bully others because that's how they're going to get back some of their uh, you know feeling of strength. Right. Um, What's been happening, the bulk of the bullying that happens now, and I've done a lot of reading on this, and I'm part of a number of anti-bullying groups online to try to help other people get through what I went through. Um, Social networking allows people to anonymously bully. And it's because no one's looking them in the face. Um, you're not going to bully me much looking me in the face because I'm going to get back in your face. But online, mm-hmm. I can't get back in your face. It's just typed words. So people feel, and we see this even in the political climate now, people feel they can type anything because there's no repercussions. Yes. So that's gotten a lot worse. And, and it's happening to people constantly. Um, and m- boys and girls and men and women bullied differently women it's more psychological men it's physical and physical interesting. threats um and it's and it is really interesting and there is a lot of difference now that said like with my boys in in high school they were telling me that most of the physical fights were girls fighting so that's also changed that never happened when i was in high school
0: really yeah i never saw that when i was yeah well no, my boys
1: yeah. are 21 now they just turned 21 when they were in high school, yeah, the, mm-hmm. their stories were all, it was always the girls uh, that would get into physical fights.
0: Why is that? I uh, think because that's the changed. fights
1: last longer. I assumed that a lot of the guys would still fight, uh, but it'd be one punch and down and out. Uh, so kids yeah. don't get to see it. But, you know, the girls' fights would last longer. And so more people would show up and that's what they hear about. So I, I don't think it's a, the guys aren't fighting. I just think they didn't last long enough for anyone mm-hmm. to pay attention.
0: Wow. And it's probably a, I would, I mean, I have a nine-year-old daughter and I think about these things, but I imagine like, you know, back then when that was happening, I mean, who's videotaping or, you know, streaming these fights? Like now all these kids have phones and I would imagine they're probably, you know, recording people fighting each other. And yeah, and there.
1: they get a tremendous amount of views. Look, everyone likes to watch a fight. You know, I'm a fan of, of you know, yeah. watching mixed martial arts and boxing and things like that. You know, we get that that thrill of watching two other people beat the shit out of each other. Um, you know, and in and, and particularly for me, I can definitely feel watching someone get the crap beaten out of them. There's a catharsis to it. You know, uh, you know sure. believe me, yeah. in my mind, I saw those guys going down a lot. Um, but, you know, I didn't want to deal with things that way. I wanted to be, you know, permanent. Um, so, you know, luckily the route we yeah. took worked.
0: How, so how do you, what are some, you know, resources or some interventions that could be done to kind of decrease this kind of cyberbullying or online bullying these days, which has become so pervasive with well, the well, internet.
1: Talking about it is one of the biggest things. you know, telling an adult. Um, And hopefully it's the right adult. Unfortunately, some adults don't uh, take action. My parents supported me. Uh, My school supported me. In fact, my principal and vice principal showed up at my court trial for me. Um, So, you know, I when I asked for help, I got help. So you need to be willing to ask for help. Unfortunately, it's not always there. So I would say adults listen to kids. If they say anything, it means it's 10 times worse than they're saying already because it takes kids a long time Mm. to open up and admit to it. Um, So if you hear the slightest bit, it's already really bad. So I'm going to ask parents.
0: It's a huge deal. Pay attention.
1: Um, But kids need to open up and. And some of these online sites are allowing them to do that. And then they get support from other people and suggestions from other people, um, which is mm-hmm. good. Again, it's, it's anonymous, but um, there's nothing like the strength that you get from having someone listen to you when you're talking
0: face-to-face. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Is there in your mind anything that should be done? with, uh, social media platforms or online platforms to curb the, the spread of this, or should it primarily be the responsibility of individuals or parents, things that or both, you
1: know, you know, I don't think that we should hold uh, platforms responsible, uh, because they're not the ones inciting things. Um, right. You know, that said, if, if someone's being reported on and on and on about something, block them. Yeah, that happens. It probably doesn't happen enough yeah. because there's hundreds of millions of people. You just look at the actual numbers. Mm-hmm. It's almost impossible to police. All right. So understanding that, so what do you do? Well, again, if if you're willing to open up to a parent and if the parent's willing uh, to do what's necessary, contact the other parents of the people who are doing it. Yeah. Uh, look, communication. You can take bigger steps later if you need to, but You know, I remember one, um, my kids ended up, they teased some girl about the size of her nose when they were like in third grade Mm -hmm. and the mother actually went ballistic. She went overboard. Um, but she threatened to call the cops on, on my boys and scared the crap out of my boys and, and they stopped. But see, the parent felt that there was something bad going on and, and whether or not she went overboard or not, she dealt with it and it stopped. So you have to be right. willing to stand up and say something and at least reach out and give someone else the opportunity to change.
0: Yeah, most. I, I can remember, I grew up on military bases uh, growing up. And um, I remember when, you know, being a young boy, my brother and I, and we would get in little tiffs with other kids on the base. And I remember it was a big thing that the parents always talk to each other. It's like, well, your son said this or did this to my son and the parents would talk to each other about it. And there was an open line of communication. Now, I always remember that thinking that's interesting that they were willing to talk to each other and have a conversation. Now, I'm not sure if that was more of a military aspect of thing, but that's just how I was growing up with it. And, and I wonder if parents are more open to that now or they're No, I don't think they are. I think part of what might have been
1: happening there was a smaller community. Military-based, smaller community. People know each other. It's a lot easier to talk to someone if you know them. You know, in these, like my school was 4,000 kids. Of course, we don't know everybody or even a fraction of the people who went there. Um, So, you know, community can help those within if they're willing to.
0: Yeah. What's been the reaction of all this, you know, when as people read the book and are you getting people who have, have been bullied quite a bit that contact you? What's kind of yeah, the you know, response? It's been
1: really interesting um, and gratifying what, what people are getting from it. But the biggest surprise has been people I went to high school with, who I, some of whom I don't even know, you know, I, I didn't know them, or at least don't remember mm-hmm. them, w- reached out to me, like on Facebook, they reached out to me and told me how they had been attacked or bullied by the same guys and that my book was a, was a catharsis for them because they had never openly admitted it before. Yeah. Wow. So.
0: You never know where things go. No, and it, <laughs> it,
1: it's, it's really amazing. So, you know, I've, I've had, you know, longer discussions with some of these people, like one guy and ended up with them when, the, uh, when this gang decided to uh, beat up a bunch of gay people across town for no reason other than they just thought they were gay. So they would just go and beat him up. He said something about it and say, so beat him up. Um, so, you know, and he had never opened up about that. he never, he told me he'd never spoken to anyone about it until, um, until he read my book. And then he started promoting my book to other groups. And, you know, and you know, he said, look, I know this guy. I remember when all this happened, this is a great story. Everyone should read it. Uh, so, you know, that gave him a catharsis. So, you know, that, that feels really good.
0: I would imagine so. I mean, that's incredible. Uh, I really am grateful that you are telling your story, uh, to a lot of people. And I think there's certainly, like, as you said, bullying, I think will always happen, but I think we can, we could share in that and helping each other with that. And certainly for parents, this is a must listen. And, and what you can do and how bad things can be with kids and especially if they don't open up to you about it. So I really appreciate your oh, time. Sure. My,
1: my pleasure. It's, you know, I, I, enjoy talking about it and if it can help someone else, um, I hope so. In fact, one of the things I did in the back of the book, I've got a number of epilogues and, um, and you know, they're how to, how to deal with bullies and, uh, there are a number of different things on how to get over PTSD, you know, suggestions, things like that. So you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, trying to do a number of things with the book. It's not only tell my story, but then, all right, so how can we use this to help other people get through whatever there it is that they're going through?
0: Awesome. Really cool. So tell everyone how they can get the book or some different links, resources. Well, the book
1: is available both in print and on Kindle on amazon.com. It's called attacked. And, uh, you can also find a lot of behind-the-scenes information on my website at MarkSimonBooks.com, just like it sounds, MarkSimonBooks.com. In fact, I've even got video interviews with uh, with my parents and uh, behind-the-scenes of the actual locations where the events happened. So you can really get a, a deep dive into the story there.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Mark. And uh, I look forward uh, for a lot of people to check this out. So thanks right, for your thanks time very again. Very- So let me ask you something. How do you get your news? Because I know you want to stay informed with what's going on here in the world. There's so much going on on a regular basis. And it's something that's been a problem for me personally. And I've been searching and searching and searching and finally I found a news source that I think all of my listeners are going to love. It's called the donut or the dose of news useful today. The founder and CEO, Peter Nowak, is a good friend of mine, and when he turned me on to it, I was just blown away. Finally, a daily news source that delivers succinct and factual news about all the world's occurrences. And it's an easy access to finding things that you just want to get information about. And it also serves up a lot of positive news stories that you won't hear anywhere else. It's your daily reminder that there is good in the world, even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes. So get the donut. Stay informed. It's 100% free. You can unsubscribe anytime. Visit thedonut.co or text DONUT to 66866 to sign up today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future
1: episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the rate and review section. Thanks, everyone.